Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm just great. Just great. Yeah. This is a very Long Island episode. Uh, not good, though. Well, the story itself is insane. But anyway, I have two bits of Long Island news. I mean, one of which is the entire story that we're going to talk about. So that's one thing. But the second thing that I did not know about is there is an active serial killer on Long Island. Really? For those of you who don't know, I am from Long Island. I grew up on Long Island. I like, you know, very much still call it home. And I was sitting down to just, like, enjoy a little Apple and, like, a YouTube video. And I clicked on one, you know, just light stuff, like active serial killers in the United States. <laughs> and, and the first one that popped up was Long Island. And I had no idea. There's like There was, like, 10 or 11 bodies found within, like, a couple of years. Like, t- uh, 2010 to, like, 2011, there were, like, multiple bodies found. And one of the, like, main suspects, there was, like, a a bunch of suspects, all of which are, you know, Long Island residents, one of which was the Suffolk County police chief for a time. And that's, like, my county. That's, like, where I grew up. Holy shit. It's insane. That is really close to home. Isn't that insane? That's wild. An active serial killer. I mean, I don't know how active they are anymore. I don't know if the killings have stopped, but... I think the case was, like, being reopened for some reason. Like, someone else came into, like, some kind of place of power and they were like, hey, we're going to reopen this case. So that's something that's, like, actively being looked into, which is insane. Wow. How many times can I say the word insane? (laughs) A lot, but let's not mince words. It's insane. It is. I had no idea. And I asked my, my dad and, like, my family. I was like, did you know that this was a thing? And my dad was like, oh, yeah. I was like, what? Oh, yeah? You were the only one? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? You knew this was a that's, thing. That's wild. Yeah. I don't know. You feel like they would, you know, put out a notification. The other day, I got a silver alert. Like, everyone in our room got a silver alert. Oh, yeah. That's always and, sad. You know, like, it's very sad, but it's a city of, what, millions of people? Yeah. The chances that you're by, I, I don't know. But I mean, this they're, stuff, they're good. They're good alerts. I mean, have. they're good alerts. But at the same time, you might want to put one out for an active serial killer, too. You would think. But also, they don't want to, like, cause panic. So it's maybe one of those things. I don't know, man. But also, I think I was just young enough where I just wasn't aware, you know? Over what period of time do you know? I don't entirely know. I think it was... I think the actual, like, murders have gone on for a very long time. Like, maybe, like, 20 years or something like that. But... 20 years yeah something like that but i think most of the bodies were found between 2010 and 2011 and there was like 10 or 11 bodies so it's just like very big news to me considering this is like where i'm from so very crazy but also this story that i'm going to talk about today is also a long island case that i knew nothing about um it was an area that my my parents grew up in because my parents both grew up on long island and they were like aware of this as it was happening and were like in the like they grew up in the area that this happened so they saw like the house that it was in and like the people were around like i don't know it's so crazy to me and when i talked to my dad about the fact that i was doing this case he told me that he and his mom would drive past the crime scene once a week to go to the grocery store like that's how close they were whoa yeah. it was on their way to the grocery store yes like he drove past this place almost every single week it's insane it was like a very major road and it's just so crazy to think that like this area was like where i was born and like my my family doesn't really live in this area anymore but as i was reading katie beer's book because i got almost all of the information for this episode from that book she was talking about all these different places on long island that i know about 
and I I know exactly where they are and like I've been to some of them and it was just so weird because although we've talked about so many horrifying stories and just like intense survival stories like this one, this one hit different for me as I was researching it because I could really put myself in the exact location that she was in. I don't know. It's just weird to think about. Yeah, you could say that it hit home. Yeah, literally, yes, it did. A little did. too hard. A little bit, but uh, we're going to learn about it today. So Let's get in. This episode will be a two-part episode because, like I said, I read Katie's book, and there are so many details, so we are going to have two parts, unfortunately, for some people. Some people like it, some people don't, but, you know, I wanted to deep dive a little bit because the story kind of needs it. Right, yeah, you gotta respect the story. Yeah, for sure. Before I do start, I did want to give a very quick trigger warning. This story does include sexual abuse. We don't get into, like, any kind of specifics or anything like that, but I just wanted to put at the top that this story does include that. Catherine Marie Beers, or Katie, was born on December 30th, 1982. Katie's mother, Marilyn, was prepared for her birth in that she had been given an abundance of baby supplies by friends and neighbors in her community. However, Marilyn herself was unfit to be a mother in general. Katie's father was never in the picture since Marilyn didn't know who he was. So being a single mother of two children, Marilyn worked all the time. She worked for the Sunset Taxi in Babylon on Long Island, and from the time Katie was born, she continued to work double shifts. She drove from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and some nights she added in a shift as a home health aide. So she was working over 12-hour days, like multiple times a week. Wait, so she she picked up an extra shift as a different job yeah so she was already working a double like driving a taxi every day every single day pretty much and then she on top of that would like go be a health aide oh my god yeah how many hours a week was this woman working almost all of them more often than not she was working In her defense, she didn't have much of a choice since she needed the money, but Marilyn was overall extremely neglectful and definitely allowed Katie to be with the wrong people. While driving her taxi, Marilyn met frequent flyer Linda Butler. Linda and Marilyn quickly became friends, even though Marilyn described her as someone who quote-unquote conned everyone she knew out of everything. That's a great description. But despite that, Marilyn made Linda Katie's godmother. Well, that might not have been the best choice. No? No, I don't think so. So Linda would offer to watch Katie while Marilyn was working or exhausted from work, aka literally all the time. And this arrangement went from Katie spending the night to then spending days or even weeks at a time with Linda and her husband, Sal Ingalieri. Sal was a disgusting man. He was an angry man with a pot belly, chain smoking habit, and he had every negative quality a person could possess, including being butt ugly. <laughs> <laughs> He, I can't, I can't say enough bad things about this man. He sucks. So he was physically abusive to everyone around him, constantly beating up his wife, Linda, and literally any person that crossed him, Katie included. He threatened a lot of people, and that meant that he got pretty much whatever he wanted because people knew that he was going to carry through on these threats, and you didn't want to see what happened. On a few occasions, Marilyn would show up to reclaim Katie and Linda would refuse to give her back. Police were called a few times, but often Sal would threaten Marilyn with physical violence, or when Marilyn would show up to their apartment to pick up Katie, it would be dark and no one would be home. So it's kind of a gray line here of what actually happened. Some people are like, Marilyn came to pick her up and Linda and Sal wouldn't give her back, and then other people are like, well, Marilyn didn't care about Katie and left her there because she was working all the time. So... It's probably somewhere in between. Either way, extremely neglectful and just not a good place to be. Despite these obvious red flags that the people Katie was with were not good, Marilyn continued to let Katie visit with Linda because she apparently seemed happy. And more importantly to Marilyn, I think it allowed her to keep paying the bills. Both Linda and Sal stopped working, 
which led them to being evicted from several apartments, and ultimately, they ended up living with Marilyn, who was already living at her mother Helen's home. Let me ask this. Yeah. Why did they stop working? Because they con everyone out of everything. They don't want to work, so they're not going to. So they're garbage. Yes, these are garbage people. Absolute garbage. Yes, correct. So this arrangement was terrible. The house was way too small for six people. It was absolutely filthy, overrun with cats and dogs, sometimes 22 of them at a time. The house was physically falling apart. And yes, you're raising your hand. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I I was going to ask. So she's living with her mom. Yes. Marilyn's living with her mom. Her mom can't watch Katie? I think her mom was also working. Oh. And she was also like an older woman and like wasn't really equipped to be watching a two-year-old, you know? I mean, I guess so, but I thought, you know, she owns the house. Also, why didn't she kick Linda and Sal's fat ass out? Um, well, that was a discussion that Marilyn and Helen had, but Helen was absolutely petrified of Sal because on more than one occasion, Sal physically beat up Helen. And Marilyn was like, we can press charges, like we can get the police involved. And still Helen was absolutely terrified to press charges because she didn't want to see what the repercussions of that would be. Dude. This house was absolutely filthy, overrun with dogs and cats. Like I said, 22 at a time. Yeah, what's the deal with that? I I don't know, but it's just a really terrible factoid. About Whose this house. cats and dogs were these? Some of them were like stray. Some of them were in the house. Some of them were not. Like it was, it was okay. insane. It was so, just filthy. Well, yeah, we get it. But there was already six people, mm-hmm. too much, yeah. and 22 animals. Yes. Just hanging out. Yeah. Did they have like a flap that they kind of came in, like a little cat flap? I assume so. cat dog flap. I don't know. All right, this is we're getting we're getting stuck in the details here. How can we walk past twenty two cats? <laughs> we have to. We All have right. we have to. So Linda and Sal contributed absolutely nothing, like I said, because they weren't working, because they didn't want to. And although Linda and Sal literally didn't work all day and took advantage of anyone they could get their hands on, they basically ran the house. And still Marilyn was working always, so Katie would be left with Linda and Sal which meant Katie endured constant abuse. From the age of two, she was subjected to emotional, mental, and physical abuse from both Linda and Sal. The two treated Katie like absolute garbage. From the moment Katie could walk, she was Linda and Sal's personal slave. Linda had lost her left leg due to diabetes and basically spent all day every day in bed. So she made Katie do everything for her, She was made to clean the bathrooms with chemicals that she had to mix up as a three-year-old, cook dinner, vacuum, do the laundry, which required her to walk to the laundromat alone. Linda would regularly make Katie walk alone to the convenience store to buy her cigarettes and snack cakes starting from when she was three years old. Literally from the moment Katie could walk, she did everything. The convenience store down the road even sold her cigarettes from the time she was three because Linda sent her with a note that said that they were for her and not the toddler. Imagine that. A little toddler, a little three-year-old walks into the store with a note taped to its shirt and is like, I need a pack of cigarettes for Aunt Linda. Human filth. If Katie returned without the exact hostess snack cake that Linda wanted because the store didn't have it, Linda would beat Katie. On one occasion, Linda and Sal locked Katie in the closet when they went out to the movies, and when they came back to find that she had peed herself, Linda beat her again. She had also burned Katie by putting out a cigarette on her arm. So it goes way beyond, like, making her their their personal slave. They are physically abusive. And oh, my God. This... Like, if I'm Marilyn, I would literally just shoot these people. She wasn't around. She didn't know. Like she, she didn't know. I mean, I'm sure to some extent she knew that like they weren't great, but she didn't. She wasn't around to see it. That's the problem. She was so extremely neglectful, and she was okay with her daughter living in these conditions. I mean, I some of it is out of her control to the point where she she doesn't have the money to say get her own place, but she's allowing these people 
into her daughter's life and, and leaving her with them. It's a terrible situation. The physical and emotional abuse escalated and turned into Sal sexually abusing Katie. I'm not going to get into specifics, but that type of abuse by Sal was violent and daily. It also escalated immensely when he realized that he wasn't going to get caught. The only place that Katie felt safe was school, but because she was Linda and Sal's personal slave and they didn't want to give her up, and Marilyn was extremely neglectful, and also when Linda and Sal weren't living with Marilyn, she was bouncing between their homes, she barely ever went to school. And when she did, the kids would make fun of her calling her cockroach kid or dirty Katie because she always wore the same clothes and smelled, and she didn't regularly shower, her teeth were yellow and rotting out because she was never taught to brush them. Is anyone from the school intervening? No. And people in the community also noticed that Katie pretty much raised herself and would wander the area by herself at all hours of the day. She was a child under the age of 10 for all of this portion of the story that I'm talking about. So Under 10? Under 10. Did anyone call CPS? Like, no. What are we doing here? They didn't. She oftentimes would be wearing inappropriate clothing for the weather that was happening. She would be wearing summer clothes in the winter with no coat, or it would be downpouring and she would walk into a store sopping wet with no jacket or shoes because she was running errands for Linda. If anyone said anything to Linda or Sal about Katie's appearance, Sal would tell them to mind their business, and people did. They felt bad for Katie, but they never did anything for her. No one was ever called, no CPS, no nothing. And a quote from the book that I just, it took the breath out of me for a second. It says, quote, for a dog, someone would have called the pound. For Katie, no one knew what to do. But no one knew what to do. I kind of feel is like the wrong thing to say. No one did anything. Yeah. Like. Everyone knows what to do. Yeah. You could have called or the police. You, you could have called someone. Anyone. Yeah. So. A lot of people let Katie down, not just her mother, not just the people around her, but like the community as well. And the her teachers. teachers. Yeah, everyone. It's just so unbelievably disappointing. The sleeping arrangements in the house was also very odd. Marilyn had her childhood bedroom. Linda slept in a room that had once been Marilyn's brother's room. Sal and Marilyn's son, John, shared a bedroom downstairs. Helen had her own cramped little room, leaving Katie without a bed or room to herself. So she would basically have to find a place to sleep every single night. Her mom didn't let her sleep in her room? That's what I thought. When I heard that Marilyn had her childhood bedroom and she like wasn't, Katie wasn't just automatically sleeping with Marilyn, I was like, what? Also, didn't you say that she had two kids? Yeah. Yeah. Where's the other one? John is sharing a bedroom with Sal. Oh my god. Yeah. How old is John? Younger or older than Katie? Older brother. So like young teens. Yeah. But that was my first thought too, was why isn't Katie sleeping with Marilyn? So Katie was supposed to be sleeping with Linda. Like that's like where she was supposed to be. But if Katie was even a minute past 9 p.m. before getting into the bedroom, Linda would physically lock her out of the room. She'd be like, you're not sleeping here tonight. Even if Linda was awake, she would be like, nope, sorry, you missed it. And she would send her downstairs to like sleep on the floor or like on the couch. And she would actually a lot of times sleep on the floor behind the couch because she was terrified of if Sal found her. And this really didn't even deter him. Like, he knew when she wouldn't be in the room with Linda, and he would, like, physically find her. So it was a really terrible situation, and Linda did not give a single shit. Well, obviously. Here's a little tidbit about who Katie was as a person. And keep in mind, this kid was enduring all of this while she was under the age of 10, like I said. Her mother would leave $5 a week for her and her brother, John, to get something for themselves. And instead of getting anything for herself, she would spend the $5 on cigarettes for Linda, buy M&Ms for her grandmother, or she would buy something small for Marilyn with the money that was left over. So the $5 that she had to get herself something nice, she would buy literally anything else for 
another person in her life, which made me very sad to read because yeah, I was like, so God, sad. like why you can't, can't you even just get can't yourself even... a candy? Like do something. Yeah. But that's just who she was. After some time, Linda and Sal bled every penny out of that house. Sal and Helen would fight constantly over money, but Sal would just beat Helen up, like I said. And she never pressed any charges or got them kicked out of the house because she was absolutely terrified of the man. Linda would take these long, hot showers, and afterwards she would walk back to her room completely naked. And, like, Katie would have to watch her, like, walk across the floor, just, like, butt-ass naked, dripping water everywhere. And this, over time, literally rotted the floor so badly that it caved into the room downstairs. So Sal took out a loan with Helen co-signing it to fix the floor, and although it was fixed and he had plenty of money left over to help make payments on the house, instead he bought a brand new tow truck and a boatload of porn. Just disgusting. There's just another I mean, one of those, yeah, like, what I, the hell? I just, I don't have words. I know. Helen, because of this, had to stop making payments on the house, and they lost it. So after that, Marilyn moved into a converted garage apartment, while Linda and Sal moved in with Linda's mother, Anne. And somehow, Katie and Helen ended up living with Linda and Sal instead of Marilyn. How? I don't know. That's just what it was. The arrangement was Helen and Katie were going to go live with uh, Linda and Sal. I couldn't tell you why. On one of Marilyn's regular 12-hour workdays, driving for Sunset Taxi, she picked up a woman named Rose. The two of them got to talking about their children, so Marilyn talked about Katie and her son, John. And Rose told her that she also had a son named John. This was John Esposito. And he was in his 40s, and she told Marilyn that he worked with an organization called Big Brothers. So Rose suggested that she could introduce her John to Marilyn's son John, since little John didn't have, like, a male influence in his life. So the two were introduced and became known as Big John and Little John. But Big John wasn't actually a part of this Big Brother organization, but Marilyn didn't know this at the time. Little John was just nine years old, but like every week he and Big John would get together and Big John would take Little John to batting cages. They'd play video games at his house. He would give Little John lavish gifts like video games or $1,200 stereos or even trips to Disney World. All the neighborhood kids loved him because he had wall-to-wall video games, board games, toys, ping-pong tables, arcade games, sweets, soda, anything a kid would want. Big John had all of it in his bedroom for them to enjoy. He's fucking kids. That's a very harsh way to say it. He is, he's gross. Yes, he's. Why else is a 40-year-old man doing this? Exactly. So Katie liked Big John too, at first, since she was a child and he would give her toys as well. But their relationship ended very abruptly when Little John told Marilyn that Big John had quote-unquote touched him. So John Esposito was still very much in the community and around since Linda thought that he was great. Despite this information coming out that he had molested Little John, Linda was like, he's a great man. I mean, it's no shock to me that she would think this considering she's married to a monster. But he was still around and, like, able to be around Katie because Linda thought it was okay. Marilyn told Katie that she was never allowed to see Big John or go to his house, but Linda had absolutely no problem letting her go because she thought he was a nice man, like I said. All of this leads us to December 26th, 1992. It was four days before Katie's 10th birthday. Katie was home in Marilyn's converted garage apartment in Mastic Beach when there was a knock at the door. Ann Butler, Linda's mother, came inside and asked Katie if she wanted to go see Linda for her birthday. Katie absolutely did not want to go see Linda for her birthday because Katie was constantly abused in, in Linda's quote-unquote care. So Marilyn instructed Katie to leave the room while she and Ann talked about it. But of course, Katie put her little head up to the door to hear what they were saying. So Marilyn told Anne that Katie was not allowed to visit Linda because she didn't want her around Sal or Big John. 
But Anne assured Marilyn that neither Sal or Big John would be around, but basically begged Marilyn to let Katie go since Linda had planned a whole party for Katie. So Marilyn finally gave in with the compromise that she would get Katie for her actual birthday, which I also thought was kind of like funny because Katie's actual mother had to compromise that she would get her on her actual birthday. It's your daughter. It's your kid. Of course you get her on her birthday. I don't understand. It's just such a weird dynamic. Yeah, nothing makes sense to me. So when Marilyn came back into the room with Katie, she told her that she would be spending a few days with Aunt Linda to celebrate her birthday. But she also told her that if Sal was in the house or if Big John showed up, to call the police immediately. Imagine sending your nine-year-old to a house where she may have to call the police immediately. If like two different men show up that are very likely to show up. Yeah, just don't go. If you have to say those words, don't send her. Yeah. Just straight up, don't send her. It's a general rule. It's like a very easy rule to follow. Don't send your kid where they might have to call the police for their own safety, like Jesus Christ. When Katie got to their home, Linda had Katie put on this big floppy hat since she had recently had to shave her head due to lice. And she let her put on a little makeup since she'd be celebrating double digits. And soon enough, Big John came waltzing into the house carrying a Barbie dream house for Katie. He said that he was only there to drop it off, but he would be back tomorrow to help her put it together. After Big John left, Katie reminded Linda that she was not allowed to see Big John, but Linda told her, it's fine, he's coming tomorrow and we won't tell Marilyn. The next day, when Big John showed up, he asked Linda if... For Katie's birthday, he could take her to Spaceplex, which was basically this giant arcade 15 minutes away. And Katie told Linda that she definitely wasn't allowed to go anywhere with Big John, but Linda told her, it's fine, you'll go to Spaceplex and you'll be back in a few hours. Katie got this horrible sinking feeling like she did when she was alone with Sal. Marilyn had a restraining order against Sal at this point, but didn't have one against Big John, so she was going. Katie went to her room and put on her black denim skirt, a white turtleneck with Scotty dogs, black cowboy boots, and her blossom hat, and they were off. This outing immediately felt to Katie as if she were on a date with Big John. He let her ride in the front seat. She didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Sometimes he would let her sit on his lap and she would steer the car by herself. He asked if she wanted to go anywhere, and she told him 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee. So they did. Katie didn't really get nervous until after that point, because once they got into Big John's car again, he told her that he wanted to go to Toys R Us to pick her out a Nintendo game. But Katie knew that the Toys R Us was completely out of the way of the Spaceplex and extremely close to Big John's house. So trying to dodge being alone in, in his house with him, Katie said that he didn't have to get her anything since he had already gotten her a gift, and she only really wanted to go to Spaceplex anyway. But John insisted that they go. So of course, after going to Toys R Us and getting a game, Katie knew they'd go back to his house to play it since she didn't have a Nintendo player, and he did. Big John had been trying to get Katie alone for months. Almost every day, he would call her at Linda's house while she was taking a nap and would ask her to sneak out so he could buy her a new toy or some candy. Katie obviously didn't want to go, but was also terrified that if she did something her Aunt Linda didn't like, she would get the shit beat out of her. So she would make up excuses as to why she couldn't hang out with Big John. But now they were alone and they weren't expected back for hours. So John brought Katie back to his house, where the only game console was up in his bedroom. Katie sat crisscross on the edge of his bare mattress and played the Home Alone game that he had gotten for her. She had played many games like this at Big John's house, but was never actually by herself. It was always with other kids from the neighborhood, so she knew that something didn't feel right. When John came back into the room, he looked like a completely different person. The happy, friendly Big John that she knew was gone. John lunged at her, grabbed her, sexually assaulted her, and then started carrying her down the stairs, kicking and screaming. 
She didn't understand why he was carrying her down the stairs because nobody was home, so whatever bad thing he wanted to do, he could have done up there. At the bottom of the stairs, he turned left into his office and dropped Katie on the floor and slammed the door and closed it behind him. Now Katie was extremely confused because she knew that out of all the places in the house, no kids were ever allowed in Big John's office. So as she looked around, she noticed that there were a lot of pillows everywhere scattered all over the office floor. And as she sat there silently crying, John said in a very icy, unrecognizable voice, I have something I want to show you. He began removing the baseball caps hanging on the hooks inside of a wooden bookcase, and then unscrewed the actual hooks themselves until finally he gave the whole bookshelf a tug and unlatched something else so the entire thing slid on wheels away from the wall. Looking at where the shelves once were, Katie saw a large rectangular hole in the wall, essentially like a closet. He then went into the hole and rolled up a tan rug on the floor and then picked up a piece of padding underneath the rug to reveal a big square slab of concrete. John then grabbed a long metal pole with hooks on either end from the corner of the closet. He then attached one of the hooks on the pole to the clothing bar in the closet and the other hook onto the center of the concrete slab and then dropped a dumbbell weight onto the slab and started cranking. This is a lot of information. Just keep, oh my God. stay with this me. Is so... It's very intricate. There's a lot of stuff that happens, but we're kind of experiencing this through Katie's eyes a little bit. So Katie had no idea what John was doing, but while he was busy cranking this concrete slab up, she scanned the room and spotted a phone on his desk. So she ran to the desk and dialed 911 and started whispering, I'm on Saxon Avenue. She had no idea where she was, what town she was in, what the house number even was. But as she was whispering into the phone, John heard her and yanked the phone away from her ear, threw her across the room, and then hung up the phone once again. Sharp sticks of pain immediately shot through Katie's shirt as she realized that she had landed on a wall of exposed nails inside the closet. And as Katie sobbed, John finished cranking up this concrete slab to reveal a large hole in the floor leading to darkness. John stepped over the hole, walked over to Katie, picked her up, and then held her at the edge of the hole and told her to get in. She told him that she didn't want to, and asked what it was, so John told her it was a bomb shelter before dropping her feet first into this black hole. After she hit the cold plywood bottom, he yelled after her to start crawling. She had no idea where she'd be going, but seeing as he was getting into the hole behind her, there was nowhere for her to go, and she did as she was told. John managed to maneuver himself in front of Katie and started drilling something. After about a minute of drilling, he revealed another opening to another small room at the end of a tunnel. And she knew that there was no getting out of there unless he physically let her out. This is girl in the basement level of intricate. Yes, it is. So I'm going to explain what Katie saw inside of this chamber in her own words. So I took this quote directly from the book. It says, Inside this chamber was, quote, one small area no bigger than the closet in Mastic Beach, and then elevated off the floor what looked like an enclosed cabinet, not much more than a coffin-sized box, outfitted with a door padlocked shut. The outer room had a toilet in the corner, not hooked up to anything, but with a black plastic bag in the hole. There were two wooden shelves attached to the wall, and on one shelf, what looked like a security monitor. This room felt like an animal cage. There was yellow soundproofing and cork covering the walls. This is like, I don't know, on par with the Turpin 13, yeah. on par with Girl in the Basement, the mm -hmm. other one where they she was locked in a box. It's just like... Colleen Stan? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, funny you mention that, because... John took inspiration directly from Colleen Stan's story. Great. Yeah. It is so crazy that he was able to make such an intricate, like, under-the-ground bunker 
Did he build it himself? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. He built it himself. Can you imagine being the contractor? You're like, no, no, you no wanna... he built it himself. There was like multiple rooms, all of which he needed to like drill things to physically open them. She was like so closed into this place that even if she screamed or banged or did anything, like there was no getting out. And also she was 50 pounds. She was nine years old. Yeah, there's nothing she could have done. John then opened the door leading to the enclosed box to get her in. And inside, there was a thin blue striped camping mattress and a pillow, some blankets, and a television sitting on top of a shelf. She also noticed that there was a 101 Dalmatians nightgown waiting for her on the bed. Katie saw this nightgown and asked if he had been planning on kidnapping her, and he told her yes for a while now. So all Katie wanted to do was go home, but John told her that this was her home now, before leaving her down there for a minute to go get some more blankets. When he got back into the hole, he told Katie that they were going to make a recording. He took a small tape recorder out of his back pocket and recited exactly what he wanted her to say. I've been kidnapped by a man with a knife, and here he comes now. He made her practice this a few times before he told her that he was going to leave the room while she recorded it so it wouldn't pick him up in the background. So once he was gone, she recorded what he asked, but then waited a few moments and in a very soft voice whispered into the recorder, Big John took me. He has me at his house. When John came back into the hole, he grabbed the tape recorder and hit play, and when it got to the end of the tape without a beat, he smacked Katie in the face. He then stood directly over her and made her record it again. Once he was satisfied with her acting, he told Katie he was going to play the tape for Aunt Linda because she was going to stay there forever. He then asked Katie to pose for a picture where it looked like she was sleeping. She asked why he wanted a picture like that, and he told her that way the police will stop looking for you because they'll think you're dead. Katie, who is a very smart nine-year-old, refused to take this picture, so John ordered her back into the box. As Katie crawled back in, she saw the flickering shadows from the TV on the egg-crated walls, and she heard the screeching of the drill as John secured the many doors back in place, completely sealing her inside. Once Katie was sure he was gone, she positioned herself with her back to the door and started kicking the wall in front of her, and she kicked and pushed and punched for what seemed like forever, pressing as hard as she could onto the door. She has no idea how long she did that for, but finally the door broke open and she fell out into the bigger room. I mean, she's still very much locked inside, but she got out of this tiny little box. She saw that there was a two by four piece of lumber that had been wedged to keep the door closed, but with all the adrenaline behind her kicking and pushing, she literally snapped it in half. Whoa. Isn't that insane? A 50 pound nine-year-old snapped it in half. Fuck yeah. When she looked around to see if there was any way she could escape, she saw that she was still very much trapped inside the underground bunker. So she lay in the shadows of that room thinking about when John opened the door again, she could just run out past him or overtake him. But that wasn't going to happen considering she was, like I said, barely 50 pounds. When John finally did return, he saw Katie hiding in the shadows of this first section of the bunker and wasn't angry at that point, but almost apologetic when he told her, I see you. He then told her that he had gone to Spaceplex to quote unquote look for her and then had the manager call the police. He then told her that he used the tape to call her Aunt Linda and leave the message with Katie's voice. After that, Katie told John she was tired and wanted him to leave so she could sleep. And that was the end of day one. Each day Katie was in the box, she had no concept of the time passing because there were no windows, there were no lights, and it was soundproofed. It was basically a sensory deprivation chamber. Thankfully, she did have the TV and could kind of keep up with things that way, but for the most part, this entire event would feel like one continuous day for her. She also never slept. When John told her he was going to take a photo of her sleeping so it looked like she was dead, she became obsessed with staying awake. One, she didn't want that picture to deter any search efforts they had going for her, and two, if he had the picture of her dead, 
what would stop him from actually killing her? If things got too hard, he could just kill her and it wouldn't make any difference. So this is where her mind is at. She also wouldn't eat the food that he would give her because she was scared that he like drugged it or put sleeping pills into it so that he could take the picture. So she wasn't even like eating food. The only thing she would consume was like things in a plastic bag that was sealed. Well, she's very smart. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't they keep looking if they had a picture of the dead body, quote unquote? Why would they just stop? I don't get it. They probably wouldn't. But this was John's idea was I'm going to propose a picture of a dead body or I'm going to send it to them anonymously and they're going to think she's dead and they'll just stop looking so hard. Like once they don't find her, then they'll just stop looking because they already know she's dead. Yeah, I guess it does make sense. Yeah. So Katie was very smart to not let him take that picture. On the outside, the news of this missing girl spread like wildfire and the investigation on Katie's disappearance was in full swing. Police and reporters swarmed 1083 Ocean Avenue in Bayshore after Linda had received a message on her answering machine from Katie saying she had been kidnapped. John Esposito was the last person to have seen Katie and had also alerted managers at the Spaceplex to her disappearance almost at the same time Linda had gotten the call. Super convenient. Spaceplex was a huge arcade, so the employees and other people inside never actually saw Katie, but that wasn't the biggest red flag considering there was a lot going on and there were kids everywhere. It was the perfect place for what John was trying to do. So here's what John told the police. He had picked up Katie at one, took her to Toys R Us where he bought her a troll doll and the Home Alone video game. They then went to 7-Eleven and got a Slurpee, stopped by his house to try out the game, and after that they decided it was time to go to Spaceplex. When they got there, John gave her $5 to go and get some tokens, but when she left him to do that, she never came back. After searching for her for a few minutes, he alerted a manager who connected John with Linda, who then told John that she had received a message from Katie saying she had been kidnapped. So let's talk about this message. Here's the actual quote of what Katie said. She said, quote, Aunt Linda, a man kidnapped me and he had a knife with some crying in between, and then said, oh no, here he comes, I gotta go. And before Linda could get to the phone to answer it, the call was ended. So this was enough to concern Dominic Verone, the head of the Long Island Police Kidnapping Division. Really? Yes, it was enough. You know, first of all, Dominic thought that the wording of the message was entirely strange. The fact that a nine-year-old used the word kidnapped was weird. She didn't say a man took me or something like that. She said a man kidnapped me. Also, Katie said he had a knife in past tense. So that was really strange. Also, Dominic couldn't wrap his head around how a nine-year-old could get away from an abductor long enough to make this kind of call. So all of this was odd, and he was skeptical because there had been a lot of times where these abductions were not really abductions, they were just made to look like it. Which would make sense because around 95% of kidnappings are perpetrated by close family members. But at the same time, he knew that every minute counts in cases like this, so although he knew the message was odd, he needed to find Katie and fast. There was absolutely no trace of Katie at Spaceplex, almost like she was never there, which meant the only evidence they had was this message that Katie had left. So Verone decided he'd call in the big guns and he sent off the message along with the tape it was recorded on off to the FBI to be analyzed while he continued interviewing family members and searching for Katie. At this point, Verone knew nothing about John Esposito and began his investigation by looking at the most likely suspects, starting with Marilyn, Linda, and Sal. Marilyn, the unfit, neglectful mother, Linda, Katie's godmother, who used her as her own personal slave, and Sal Ingalieri, who by that time had been charged with the sexual abuse of Katie. 
At that time, Katie had been mainly staying with Marilyn because she had recently gotten a restraining order against Sal. So Marilyn believed that Katie's abduction could have been staged by Linda and Sal since they were upset that they no longer had access to Katie. The police strongly considered Sal to be the one behind Katie's disappearance, considering he was facing first-degree sexual abuse charges involving Katie. So he definitely had motive to kidnap and murder Katie. Sal had actually been arrested two months earlier and was due to appear back in court in February. There had been a court order forbidding him from coming into contact with Katie, which he had already been violating just because he was in the house with Linda while Katie was around. So Sal immediately lawyered up after learning about Katie's disappearance and had gotten representation from Saibin Law Firm, who had actually just taken on another client, John Esposito. Both of Katie's abusers had the same goddamn lawyer. I hope they're bad. How do you sleep at night? Like, how know, how man. do you, as a lawyer, take on such shitty people? And you're like, yeah, I'll defend you to, like, the best of my ability. So, Verone had also entertained the idea that Marilyn and Katie's older brother, Little John, could have had something to do with it. They had recently become aware of the abuse Katie was facing, and he thought that it was possible they had staged her abduction to get her out of a bad situation. That one doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but... What do I know? Look at the actual abusers. So down in the hole, Katie watched the investigation unfold on her little television, which was really great and gave her some hope. She saw Marilyn's first interview on camera and how she cried for Katie, which made her feel really good because she knew that she was loved and someone wanted her back. However, seeing Sal's interview on the news only made her angry because he was saying that all they wanted was for her safe return. Meanwhile, he was Katie's first major abuser. But after a while, the investigation into the family members wore down because each of them had alibis and no clues had been discovered at either of their homes, which led the police to start looking into their only other logical suspect, John Esposito. And I really hate to leave us there, but that is the ending of part one. Okay, but we're how many days into the kidnapping? Like a couple. Okay, and we're halfway. Just about, yeah. Okay, I cannot believe I'm saying this. However, my point of reference is from the girl in the basement story, Uh where this went on for 20 years. Mm. So if we're halfway at a couple days... I'm hoping that this doesn't go on for years. That is a good assumption. God, I hope they get this fuck. Yeah, so where we're leaving off, they are looking into John Esposito, finally. Um, We're going to talk about, in part two, all about John Esposito and how Katie gets out and what happens afterward and how they go to jail, all that fun stuff. So hang tight. I know this was a lot of information. I know there's a lot of really terrible things that are going on, but it'll all be okay in the end. So let's just hold on to that fact, shall we? Yeah. Although I'm really surprised that they didn't go immediately to John. Me too, honestly, because... He's the last person that was seen with her. Yeah. And took her to this place. Yeah, he like admitted that he took her to his house, which is super weird for like a 40-year-old man to be taking a nine-year-old to his house. To, like, celebrate her birthday. And didn't Marilyn, like, tell them? Yeah, I told her to call the cops if she saw him. And yet she was with him. Yeah, so we're only, you know, a couple of days into this investigation. So that news has come out. Or rather, we're going to talk about it in part two. But yes, the information that John Esposito had previously molested little John and... I'm sure others does come out and the police are interested in that information. So this is unfortunately where I have to leave us for part one because there's a lot of information and there's a lot to happen in part two. Is that okay? God, Sorry. This, it's kind, uh, of a, is... kind of a shitty place to leave us, I know. But... Uh, yeah, but this is such a dark story. It is. It's been it's... a while since we've told one this bad. Yeah, I I feel like I can only handle stories like this every once in a while because yeah, it really we can't live here. It really you know? does take a toll on the mental health. So here we are, but looking forward to the positive at the end. 
Me too. Yeah, you too. I mean, what is what else is going to be? But all right, well, let's have a bit of a palate cleanser. Yes. What is your good thing? My good thing is that I have made mango kiwi jam. I don't know if you've ever had mango kiwi jam, but it's good. And essentially, I just took smashed mango and kiwi, added sugar, and then boiled the shit out of it. Yeah. And it made jelly. It did, and it's really good. Um, So this is my new thing. We Um, love a new hobby. Yeah, but I've been putting it on like butter and toast it's pretty good yeah so i don't know am i a boomer like i'm already a boomer right a bo- but have, have i like progressed another level we're definitely getting older yeah people, I mean, people we're are like, like oh ball. you want to go to the club and i'm like ah, i don't know i mean i gotta yeah. i gotta knit tonight right <laughs> <laughs> i had really really big plans with my knitting needles yeah i don't i don't knit i don't know why i use that description with that well that you example. like to crochet no, I know. Basically knitting. I don't have any you crochet. Know, you like no. to do those little that's uh circle things. Hand embroidery. Hand embroidery. That's that's Same an old thing. lady thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And right, what's your good thing? My good thing is the TV show Good Girls. Oh yeah, we've I'm been obsessed. into it. I am obsessed with that show. It's so good. Check it out. You know. Check it. It's out. fun. It's just a very fun show. Yeah. It's been a nice way to unwind at the end of the day watch a little funny TV show that still has a little bit of drama in it. We love that. See, but it's not for me. I'm so stressed out when I'm watching this show. That's but in true. kind of a good way, but in not so good ways sometimes because these women make some of the dumbest choices. They do. And it stresses me the fuck out. Yeah. For those know? of you who don't know, this TV show, for like a very broad description, how it starts is three regular suburban moms decide to rob a grocery store and the whole show is what chaos happens after they do that so it is a very fun watch if you're looking for a tv show i recommend yeah they just like slide further and further into crime yeah you know it, it gets a little a little wacky but anyways thank you guys so much for listening if you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about check us out on instagram at not today underscore podcast if you would like to listen to the bonus episode that came out this week check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash not today podcast if you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listeners episode send it to no today podcast at gmail.com we have a tiktok that is not today podcast and a twitter that is not today podcast with the t on the end of podcast is a three because that makes sense and just keep breathing yeah yeah